This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast, the place where non-technical leaders stay ahead of the AI curve. If you don't want to learn how to write Python, but you do want to select the right AI projects and see them through to a successful ROI, you found yourself in the right place. Today, we're talking about a circumstance where some companies are sitting on so much risk but they simply don't know where it is. We're talking about billions of dollars of potential risk that might be buried in existing contracts. And if there ever was a prompt and a way to goad companies towards AI adoption, it is a technology that can promise to unearth the landmines that they're already sitting on. Our guest this week is Pamela Negasanti. She is the head of sector strategy for financial services at expert.ai. And we're speaking today about the process of policy review for cyber insurance. We've talked a lot about AI's applications for cybersecurity, but what about insuring cybersecurity risks? Well, as it turns out, many contracts don't include what they need to include when it comes to cyber considerations. And many insurance firms are fading away from cyber insurance because of just how risky it is. Other firms have neglected to mention cyber in many of their past contracts, and that decision will come back to haunt them and may come back to haunt them in the form of tens of millions of dollars that they need to pay out for considerations that they never thought about in the first place. So there's a lot you'll learn in this episode, but there's two big points that I think really stand out. Number one, you'll get a sense for how a new technology shift and new regulation is making AI almost a requirement for a particular business workflow. This will happen across various and sundry industries. This is not limited to insurance, but you'll see how trends affect adoption in a very powerful and palpable way. And that'll probably give you some ideas about where AI adoption is going to force its way into your industry as well, if you know about the context of your own regulatory circumstances. Secondly, you'll get some very concrete workflow advice for applying artificial intelligence to contracts and text documents, whether they be in PDF or other formats. There's a very clear business value here and a very clear before and after picture for where AI helps to augment the expertise of human experts who are doing policy review. And I hope it spins up a lot of great ideas for our listeners as to where they can leverage AI for their own document assets, including unearthing big risks, which is really what today's episode is focused on entirely. This episode is brought to you by Expert AI. If you're interested in reaching Emerge's global executive audience through sponsored podcasts, content, co-branded research, and more, feel free to reach us at emerj.com slash ad1. That's ad like advertise, and then the number one, emerj.com slash ad1, and you can learn more about Emerge Media Services for enterprise AI vendors. Without further ado, let's fly into this episode. This is Pamela with Expert AI here in the AI and Business Podcast. So, Pamela, glad to have you with us back here on the show. Thank you, Dan. I'm really happy to be back with you. All right. And we're touching on a completely different topic than the last time. We're still in the financial services world, where obviously you guys do a lot of work. But we're talking about policy review for cyber insurance. This is its own category of insurance, obviously more and more important every single year that goes by, this whole category of cyber. Talk to us a little bit about what policy review for cyber insurance is and maybe what that existing workflow looks like today. Okay, so a very difficult question. I will try to be concise, at (laughs) least not to consume the entire time. But, you know, cyber is really a very hype topic today, right? So uh, we are all very much exposed to cyber and COVID just accelerated this risk exposure. Big time. But, you know, when it comes to cyber, we are thinking about cybersecurity, right? What we are doing as individuals, as, as companies to really protect ourselves against cyber attacks, for example, right? So, and that's, you know, of course, 
something that also insurance are thinking of. They are evaluating the risk, right? So, and before selling any cyber policy, they have to make sure that they know exactly which is the exposure, right? And the risk uh, for a cyber attack so that the premium can be consistent and they can pay back in, in case uh, they have, right? And that's, you know, what's coming on with the new contracts. But if you're thinking about the cyber attack, every time there's an attack, there's several consequences, right? That are going much beyond the single policy related to cyber. Let's suppose the system of a company is blocked and not accessible, right? So people cannot work. There's business continuity. There's non-damage business interruption involved. There might be property damages, right? So I don't know, one server is exploding or whatever <laughs> sure, we, we can sure. figure out, right? So, and, and that, you know, is not just impacting one contract, but multiple contracts. And reality is that, you know, when it comes to uh, B2B insurance contracts, you have to go back to historical policies and see in the portfolio which is the exposure also for contracts that were signed before cyber was a real problem as a risk, right? So it's an emerging peril right now, and we are all learning about how to manage it. So there's different lenses if you're an insurer, right? Because you want really to understand the exposure you have and how to make sure that, you know, these contracts that are sitting in your, in your repository are exactly what you're expecting they are. Yeah. So it, it sounds like we're kind of almost identifying, you know, there's a bunch of categories of problems and much complexity here, but you've done a good job of simplifying it. Let me see if I'm following for you. So on the one hand, we have the ability to kind of calculate what our risk is and, and all the various kinds of damage. As you'd mentioned, cyber is particularly, it feels like there might be more varied complexities for cyber than there would be for flood damage or something, right? Because pretty quantifiable, like, okay, this floor, these items, these were damaged, people had to stay out of the building for this long. For cyber, we have a reputation. Now customers' data is out there. What has that done to us? We have certain software systems that might have been fried and cooked you know, from the inside, and now we've lost certain information. Then being able to quantify that feels, frankly, very hard. And so we have to calculate that for, for any new kind of contract. But we also it's have super to hard then, yeah, go ahead. also because there's there's another difference. And you know, it's due to the fact that insurance is based on data, right? So historical data. And yep. some of the standard losses can lean on existing claims and past claims to make the calculation. That's not true for cyber. No. So it's a new and emerging risk, right? So and that's kind of creating also this concern about how do we evaluate exactly. Uh, totally. I mean, I, I think that's one of the hard parts. We had the the head of AI insurance at Munich Re recently on an interview. The episode's not live yet at the time of this recording with you, but really addressing that is, yeah, how different it is, right? We kind of know in one geography how much flooding damage is likely, really, zip code by zip code, area by area. You know, might it change? Sure. You know, global warming, whatever, but it's not going to change radically. Cyber might change radically. We don't have a historical record of every way a company can get hacked the same way we do for 100 years of flood damage. And so, yeah, this is particularly challenging. So there's that for new contracts, but there's also this idea of we're insuring people right now and cyber wasn't even part of the agreement. Is there a process for insurers where they have to go through and then renegotiate and say, hey, look, Mr. Client, because we're insuring you, we now have to renegotiate your risk because we're factoring for cyber. What do we do about those old contracts? Yeah, that's a very good question then. And look, regulation is coming to help, 
And I, and okay. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very joking. European perspective very, on things. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, but I, I'm joking too, right? But think about the fact that you mentioned correctly, some of the old contracts, of course, get renewed, right? And during the renewal, there's the possibility to, to, to evaluate the contract per se and start renegotiating it. What happened in the past is what is called as a phenomenon of silent cyber. So cyber is not mentioned at all in the policy. Neither it is covered and nor uh, explicitly excluded, right? And that's what's going to happen if there's a loss related to cyber will depend on the jurisdiction. So meaning that in some countries, if it's not explicitly excluded, it's included automatically, right? Yeah. In some others, that's not the case, right? You should explicitly include it, right? So, and that's, you know, what is creating also the need to clarify because it's not all the same in all the countries. Regulation is coming to help. And I'm just, of course, uh, <laughs> forcing a little bit the message just because some specific uh, stakeholders like Lloyd's are introducing the need to go ex explicit when it comes to, to, to cyber. So no contracts in their marketplace will be allowed if cyber is not mentioned, whether it is covered or excluded, right? And that's forcing somehow to review the contracts. But you're right. So how, how things are done today manually, right? Which is not really exciting because these documents are very complicated, knowledge intense, 100 pages long. And of course, you have to read them entirely to come to some conclusion, right? So it's not enough to find the word virus and say, oh, cyber is mentioned. Oh, no, no, that could be pandemic, right? <laughs> so just to give yeah. you an example. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, we saw these waves in the past where, you know, LIBOR regulation, right? Now we've got a factor for LIBOR. We have all these contracts that mention LIBOR for banking or something like that. And now that's not something that we can hinge any decisions off of. It's not something that's relevant for decision-making. We have to now look at all of our past contracts and say, which of them relied so much on tying to this antiquated thing that it's going to totally mess with us into the future. Same thing almost kind of here. It's like, okay, well, regulation starting to close in and make us feel like we need to know the cyber risk for every contract. I don't have enough people to read a thousand pages a day. It's almost, again, kind of the compliance pressures forcing technology adoption on some level is what it sounds like. I would say that, you know, it's much more because it's not just, you know, you have to know the exposure, which is the objective of knowing the exposure is to make sure that we are protecting customers in case of a cyber attack, right? So what is happening is that not having the capability to understand the exposure exposed too much carriers and they were not able to cover the losses in yeah. some cases. So what is happening is that some insurance companies, even big ones, are running away from cyber. They're telling it's too much risky, even if there's business value there, because premium are expected to be equal to property and casualty by 2040. That's huge, right? So PNC is representing today 51% of the market share in North America, okay? So, I mean, that will be massive, right? But despite the big premiums and the increase in the premium uh, average that companies can take, you know, they prefer not to run the risk because then the payouts are so big that they can't, they are not sure they cannot afford it. Okay. Yeah. And just to clarify too, so this is very helpful business context, Pamela. I appreciate this. I would imagine there's a lot of times where we have to flat out renegotiate things. Um, it's not just, oh, let's include some virus language here. It's like, no, 
we're way too exposed with these guys. This does not represent like this is this is far too much on our books. There's no way we can handle that. Or maybe there's other times where the language is missing and legally it has to be in there. But I, I imagine this is going to spark a lot of conversations around how to sort of re- set a new grounding with certain customers where the risk is outstanding compared to what we're actually willing to endure. What, what's going to happen there? Yeah, that, that, that's, uh, you know, and you're already identifying, pre-describing these two potential benefits or area where there might be benefit in using technology or introducing AI approaches to, to how you're managing your contracts. So the first one indeed is around, oh, there's risk exposure there, right? So, and that is unintended exposure, meaning that we are not paid for something we are liable here. And that, of course, you know, will mean renegotiate things, but also introducing wording and clauses that are somehow crystal clear for both the insurance and the insured, right? So it's loss avoidance, basically. No one, and the direction that every carrier is going to is really playing as a consultant for companies when it comes to cyber. So no one will be happy if there's a loss, right? If we could prevent a loss, that's exactly, you know, where we want to be, okay? So the first part is around loss avoidance and risk mitigation. So kind of finding out if there are gray areas and renegotiate them to make contract explicit and clear for both parties. The second one is about growth, right? So think about how many companies do not have any cyber coverage. In the small and medium enterprise segment, more than 90% of the companies have no cyber coverage. And what we've learned from the last years is that cyber attacks are not just targeting big corporations and big companies, but also the small one, right? Also because the vulnerability there yeah. are higher. Yep. If you're putting yourself in, in, in the shoes of a carrier, there's selling opportunity there, right? Because I can go to this 90% of small and medium enterprise that I have in my portfolio, demonstrate they do not have any cyber coverage, and then I can sell a cyber coverage, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's an upside opportunity here, not just yeah. a risk reduction compliance side of things. And think about brokers in the area, right? Yeah, now they have some, maybe a new, almost think about it like a new product in their uh arsenal, so to speak. Yeah. yeah additional <laughs> additional ability to land and expand. Yeah. So yeah, so there's there's a defense and an offense side to why this is relevant in business. So this is good. Yeah. So we've we've got what's coming in for regulation. We've got what the upside opportunity is. We have, you know, as you had mentioned, the downside. Some insurance carriers are moving away from this stuff because it's just too hectic and they, they don't feel like dealing with those unique risks where we have less precedence. Now comes where AI fits into the mix. Lots of value is on the table, and that's really what's required to make technology adoption happen. If, if nothing is new or different, we probably won't do anything different than we did in the past. What are the parts of the process where AI can fit in and, and help with some of these opportunities and challenges? Yeah. So specifically when it comes to policy review, AI and natural language understanding can really help a lot, right? So reading these knowledge intense policies I was mentioning before, scraping them, finding out whether cyber is mentioned, not mentioned, to what extent, and if there are misalignment inside the same policy that might bring to litigation, that's also something that you would like to avoid. And finding out all this information, aligning them, and you know, present them as the element to take a final decision to a senior underwriter, this is exactly where technology can help. Okay, got it. And are there maybe one or two particular workflows we could kind of walk through to sort of 
maybe paint a picture of what it looks like when someone's using AI for those specific workflows yeah. or those specific problems. What are the ones that you'd like to use as like a representative example? Yeah, so the way we are we are delivering um, our technology to help streamlining this process is as a strict collaboration with subject matter experts, right? So let's imagine you have your contracts in, right? They are already all stored. So let's look at the historical side. You want to understand the exposure you have. So comes the chief underwriting officer at your door. And then I want to understand which is the cyber exposure we have today in North America with all our existing customers, right? Then you look back at your repository and you have, I don't know, 500,000 documents in scope, right? So and that, that will be pretty painful to provide an answer before the next years, right? So uh, the way technology is applied basically is integrating directly with uh, the repository where you have all these documents, typically in the PDF form. Uh, that might be scanned PDF or digital, natively digital PDF. And AI is reading all these documents, right? Extracting the test, identifying all the relevant information and present back the outcomes into a user-friendly interface for a senior underwriter to review, right? And there are uh, exception flows in case of some specific rule is triggering. And then, you know, there's an exception or there's a red flag for some particular scenario. And that's directly received in the, in the email address of the person that is in charge of this situation, for example, right? So human in the loops are pretty important when it comes to this workflow because there's a lot of expertise that is completing what AI is doing in reading these 200 pages policies, for example, right? So combining the two is exactly the workflow we are putting in place. Yeah, it seems impossible to just say, okay, AI, rewrite our contracts. It's like, no, the the best that we can do is identify things for humans and help to prioritize their time. I mean, it reminds me, and if I'm on the wrong page, by the way, please let me know. But in this particular case, it reminds me exactly of like 500 other AI use cases that are similar, where we're just we're looking, we have a fat corpus of documents we'll never have enough time to read through. And we need to know red, yellow, green. For all of these, which of them have almost no chance of risk statistically? Which of them might? And which of them do we need to look at right now? Because we're sitting on much more risk than we need to. So that was the same for LIBOR. It's the same for other kinds of legal concerns or whatever the case may be. It feels like on the cyber side, probably similar process. And then a human being can say, okay, I'm going to start with the red ones because I'm trying to do actual work here. I don't want to spend 90% of my time checking a green box. I want to work on real places where I can help customers and help my company. Is, Is this a correct assumption here? It's a correct assumption. And I would say that, you know, depending on the depth you would like to apply, you can go deeper, right, in in, uh, adding more details to the color code you were identifying. But the first objective indeed is to prioritize and target the contracts that are in scope or that are exposing you to the biggest unintended exposure, right? So that's exactly where you want to act to avoid the losses, right? So, and one example is enough, right? So we are talking about million of potential losses here, right? So that's the complexity because until you read entirely your documents, you don't know where to start. You don't have any other metadata to help you with. Yeah, so being able to start with those potentially high-risk ones clearly makes sense, right? It's, I mean, you know, the the exact analogy applies to things like radiology. You know, there's applications in radiology where I'm a radiologist. I can only work 14 hours a day. You know, I can't do 24 because I'll die. So I can only look at so many scans, you know, of uh, somebody's chest x-rays or whatever. And 
I want to look at the ones that are the highest risk to maybe be cancer. Kind of the same thing here, right? It's just like we have a human. They're very talented. We do not want to use their time in a way that is unwise. We want to use it in a very wise way. And so we're augmenting it. So that's kind of assessing our current portfolio, our book of business, and getting a sense of those risks and then reassessing where where we need to in, in a very prioritized way. And like you said, the consequences are gigantic here. Is there a way where AI fits in on more of the offense side as well? I'm thinking about the brokers. Like, is, is there any play either today or maybe in your opinion in the future where we can look at maybe the small and mid-sized businesses, maybe even enterprise businesses and figure out through AI, maybe which of them could be a good candidate to maybe purchase certain cyber products based on the nature of their business, the nature of their existing contracts, et cetera. Let me know any thoughts you have on that. Yeah, that's particularly true then because, you know, there's a lot of excitement also in the small and medium enterprise, right? Because at the end of the day, in terms of potential of customers, there is a huge growth potential there, right? So every carrier is trying to looking to grow in the small and medium enterprise segment, right? So, and they want to better penetrate the market. So when it comes to brokers and how they can bring this lead to the carrier, that's exactly what they can do through the usage of AI, right? So they know that a lot of them are underinsured when it comes to cyber. And what they're doing is acting as a consulting. Yes, they are collecting all information about, even if we don't have all the historical data as it is for other claims, but what they can do is to demonstrate what happened to, to companies in the same sector or with the same occupancy, right? So in, 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 in a similar size or in a similar location too, right? So they could try identify potential pattern and then they could just identify also through AI the propensity to buy, right? Mm. And I think we are not yet there, but broker business is a commission-based business, right? So yes. they go and, you know, they take the commission out of the contract they sign and they don't care if they sign with you or with me, right? So at the end of the day, even if... Of course, they, they 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 make sure that you are the right fit for the for their customer, right? But what I'm saying is that, you know, for them, it's particularly important to convert, right? So, and if they can bring you leads that are converting better than others, it's also in their interest, if you know what I mean, right? So, using a high to me in the broker space will be mainly used to make sure that the conversion rate will be higher. Yeah. Are we talking to the kind of people that will be more likely to actually buy cyber insurance? And I could see, I'd love to just flesh this out and see if I'm on the right page about where this goes. The way we normally see things, and Pamela, if you have a different opinion, I'd love to hear it, obviously. We normally see defense and risk are going to be where especially in legacy enterprise where where adoption starts, you know, like offense, new business models, new ways of making revenue. Ah, you know, like- not so much the first steps normally. We're looking at keeping the gold coins we already have and kind of, it's a more naturally defensive sort of a, a game. But we do think that eventually offense and new business models will become the norm with AI, specifically when a lot of other companies start doing it. Now it's not being innovative, it's keeping up with the Joneses. And companies are willing to spend to keep up with the Joneses. So offense we see comes second. Do you see that also when it comes to sort of why people are going to buy this kind of technology? I fully agree, right? So, and look, the growth project are the best project, right? <laughs> so they in are. Terms of, they are, right? So, and I, I'm forcing always to, to go in this direction, but it's true, right? So from a um, conservatory approach, it's more around risk reduction. And, and I think that I'm seeing it's particularly true also in the insurance space, right? Because risk is their core concept, right? So they are just, you know, 
usually evaluating risk and get paid for taking the risk of others, right? This is their business, right? Yeah. So, and, and if they could reduce the risk or have more awareness on the risk, that's exactly where they feel more comfortable. But I think that when it comes to broker, the story is different. So I think that brokers will push the other way around. So the offense mm. from one side. And second is I'm thinking about the insure tech arena. Yeah. Indeed, you know, sure. they are creating different level and more competitive approach by using AI for the growth, right? Yes. And it's easier for them because they don't have the legacy. They don't have, you know, some of the constraints that the incumbents have. But that's kind of, to me, accelerating a little bit also the shift in the carrier's mind about, oh, let's look also at the other side of uh, the fence, right? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, there's so many applications just like this. I think it's great for our listeners to hear this from you about how these same applications can be used to to make money, save money, because AI really should be considered as not just, you know, in the enterprise, it's still bundled under, oh, that's kind of like automation, right? Like, yeah, AI, that's kind of like automation, right? No, this is, there's so many paradigm shift ways of thinking about this stuff. You know, when it comes to even insurance underwriting, there's ways that we can use AI to reduce risk and say no to more of the deals that are we shouldn't be underwriting. There's also ways to use AI to figure out maybe without a traditional credit score or out, without some of the traditional things that we would normally look at for maybe a loan or, or an underwriting policy, still be able to get a contract signed because it's going to be a net positive. So that's winning new business. But you're right. It is the startups that are playing that offense game. And it's only going to be through them spinning that flywheel enough that the big stodgy organizations are going to look over and be like, oh, we're missing out on a lot of money. We have to finally do this. So it's funny that it'll go the other way. But I guess as you're saying, and this is a good point to put a, a kind of thumbtack in, you believe that the brokers will also be part of the force that's pulling this towards revenue because they're more incentivized to do that. When it comes to adopting these technologies, sort of as a parting note here, you know, we've addressed some of the big challenges, uh, some of the upside opportunity and some of the, the serious risks that are going on here with cyber and evaluating policies. Some folks might be thinking, okay, if I'm going to step forward and think about adopting AI for this stuff, what are some of the initial considerations to take into account as we look at solutions and, and start to move forward in this space? To me, the first step is really define where to start, right? In terms of the line of business, the jurisdiction, the country, the data points you're looking for, right? One of the complexity when it comes to cyber is that it's true. The alternative is you're doing things manually. But it's not just a commoditized process where you have hundreds of underwriters already doing it manually, right? Because it's a new emerging risk. So it's kind of from one side, you're lucky because you don't have to really face or modify completely a process that was an existing process consolidated, right? But on the other hand, you don't have the possibility to benchmark, right? So subject matter experts in, are super important when it comes to dynamic type of peril because the knowledge is sitting in their mind, right? And uh, and there's no agreement across the board, right? So it's really something that we all as, as an industry are, are learning, right? So underwriters, even if they are super senior underwriters, they might not be super, super expert in cyber. Then you might have a cyber expert might not be so senior in the underwriting space or in the property space, right? So what is the complexity is really putting together the right team in terms of covering all the necessary skills and 
you know, the suggestion I, I, I really like to, to, to give my customer is to, to start really by defining a focus and doesn't necessarily mean to be small, right? But should be very well defined in terms of what you're looking for yeah, and yeah. the objective you have, right? So, and measure, define upfront how you will measure because expectation from one side are super high. Right, so I had a couple of conversations like, yeah, we are expecting to to have ninety five percent accuracy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think humans are going uh, to deliver ninety five percent accuracy, right? So, no. got it, got it. So, yeah, if I'm putting it correctly, bring the right stakeholders to the room to even make the priority decision. So, where are we going to focus? Well, the subject matter experts, the data scientists by themselves probably don't need that. We need everybody's ideas. We need business people. We need the subject matter folks, and we need the data scientists. Let's bring them in the room and then get the ideas on the table. Where do we start? And then also let's use that same group to identify how are we going to measure success because not data scientists on their own might have some weird algorithm they want to measure everything by. And the, the subject matter experts might want to go by a specific number that they know matters for the customer. And we got to find a middle ground there too. So, okay. So, Cross-functional team, come up with your focus and your measurements of success. That's good advice for any damn AI project out there. So those of you listening in, I would certainly second what Pamela has just mentioned here. And I think that's a perfect point to end on. Pamela, it's been a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I thought that there were some great insights today on how enterprises normally are going to take the defensive path and smaller companies, particularly more digitally savvy companies, are going to take more of the offensive path. We talked about how this technology for assessing risk could also be used to open up new markets and to sell more cyber insurance. Pamela gave us some great insights as to who might actually be excited about those applications versus the purely risk-oriented applications. So insights on adoption, what's easier, what's harder, always useful, always interesting for our audience. I appreciate Pamela sharing her expertise and I appreciate you being here and listening. Uh, It means a lot that we've been able to grow the show. This is something like our fifth or sixth month, over 100,000 downloads a month. Uh, The audience has grown. We're excited to publish more and more episodes, do more series like we did last week. It was great to have so many of you tuning in for our big series on finding ROI and AI projects. If you missed that one, make sure to go back. From March 14th through 18th, we publish an episode every day for five weekdays in a row about achieving ROI with early AI projects. We had some excellent guests. We're looking to do more and more of that this year. We have three more of those planned this year about exciting topics that our listeners have requested. And so we're glad to be growing and glad to have you with us. If you're not already connected with us on social, be sure to connect with us there. Not only will you see all of our latest podcast episodes as soon as they go live across all three of our podcasts, but you'll also get all of our latest trends and use cases as soon as they're published. You can find us at at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on Facebook or on LinkedIn. It's been great to see that audience grow over the last couple of years as well. And we'd love to have you with us on social in that conversation in addition to being a listener here. Thanks again so much for tuning in. I look forward to catching you in the next episode of the AI and Business Podcast. 